Well, do please take a seat. Uh, let me add my welcome to that of Andrew's earlier on, especially if you're here visiting with us today. It's great to have you here. Uh, if you've got a Bible within reach, you might like to turn to Acts chapter 1. We'll be referring to it uh, here and there over the next few minutes. It's on page 1092. Uh, it's partly because we've moved house relatively frequently in recent years and partly because with young children growing up, what they need keeps changing. But Helen and I seem to end up at Ikea at least once a year. Uh, And if you've been, you'll know that everything they do comes flat-packed with a little instruction guide, or sometimes quite a large instruction guide, to tell you how to fit the jigsaw together. Now, now that is great news for my daughter, Emma. She loves flat-packed furniture. In fact, her birthday's coming up, and I wonder if we shouldn't get her a set of Allen keys or something. Um, Anyway, whenever there's a chest of drawers or a table or a bed or or whatever to be built, Emma wants it. Now, I don't want to overstate my furniture building capability. I'm no carpenter. But suffice it to say that when it comes to constructing flat-packed furniture, it would be easier for me to do it by myself than to have a three-year-old accomplice. You see, as a furniture builder, I'd want to be on my own. However, as a father... It is a great thing to do, to be able to involve Emma, uh, getting her to hold the screwdriver as we turn it together, seeing her get excited as the pieces fit together and gradually build up something that we can use. And it is that sort of picture, I think, that best describes uh, the book of Acts and indeed the world and the church today because here we see Jesus at work building. Did you notice in verse 1? I think it's very striking uh, what it says here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. See, that is that the events of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension are just the start, just the beginning of his work. In the world today, Jesus continues to do and to teach. He is at work building, building the church, building his kingdom. And yet he doesn't do it alone. He could do, couldn't he? See the disciples' question in verse 6? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They know that he could do it by himself. In one sense, it would be much easier for God to do it by himself. And yet instead, he uses the apostles. And as the message spreads, others as well, involving them in his work. So that, verse 8, he can say... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He welcomes them to come and share in this work. And verse 8 there, if you like, is the instruction manual that comes with the flat pack. It highlights the different stages that are needed. Uh, And the book of Acts then follows this order. First, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that's chapter 2. Then the witness in Jerusalem, chapters 2 to 7. Then in Judea and Samaria, that's 8 and 9. And then to the ends of the earth, starting in chapter 10 with Cornelius, who's the first Gentile Christian. And then spreading out, ending up with Paul's journey uh, all the way across to Rome by the end of the book. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is, is lighting down on each of those stages in turn. 
And all that means that I hope that today and in the coming weeks as we look through Acts, uh, we will be encouraged to see God's plan for history, his plan for the church. We'll be ever more confident in the gospel message that can transform the world. Uh, But more than that, I hope that we'll want to join in. Uh, Like Emma dashing for the screwdrivers, we'll want to get involved. We'll be overjoyed that we can be involved in Jesus' work of witness to the world. And so as we think about that, I've got four things that I think this passage highlights for us. And the first is the proof for witnessing. The proof for witnessing. Verse 3, have a look there with me. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You never forget that the gospel is based on hard evidence. I don't know if you realise that about the Christian faith. It is based on convincing proofs. And what is that message? What is the gospel? Well, it's the things here in verse 3, that that Jesus suffered for us on the cross. That Jesus rose from the dead and is alive again. That Jesus is king. And so we should turn to him. That's the message. That's what we need to hear. Uh, But the world, I think, would say to us that those things are a matter of faith. Uh, You can't know it, so you just have to believe it anyway. That's why people sometimes say to me something like, I I wish I had your faith. I don't know if you've uh, heard someone say that to you. Perhaps you've said it to someone. I wish I had your faith. By which I think basically they mean, I wish I was as gullible as you are. Which I I don't really think they do wish. Uh, But you see here, the gospel is something that has been convincingly proved. There are witnesses. And that's a key point for us. You see, when in verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he's not talking to us. He's talking to the apostles. He can't be talking to us, can he? Because we haven't witnessed anything. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see his suffering. He hasn't appeared to me in his resurrection body. I wasn't there listening in on his teaching about the kingdom. I'm not a witness, not in that sense. No defence counsel for the Christian faith would put me on the stand. That's why personally I would never use the word witnessing to describe me telling others the gospel today because it's not my witness, it's not what I'm, well, not what I'm to do. Of course I could witness to things that I have seen and experienced. I could witness to the difference between being a Christian before and being a Christian today. I could witness to the new outlook on the world that I have as a Christian And there can be a place for that sort of personal story. But the problem is that other people have a story of changed lives too. Uh, The Sunday magazines today will be full of them. People who will never be the same again, uh, thanks to their recent diets. A house in the country, getting out of the rat race, or in one ambitious advert, installing a walk-in shower. Let alone the testimony of the Buddhist or the Muslim who says that their life has changed. Now our faith is rooted in the apostolic witness. The proofs that they saw and witnessed to. So first of all, we're to point ourselves to this witness. To this proof which is the anchor for our faith. 
After all, how am I to cope with with doubts when they come, which they will from time to time? Or what am I to think when my personal experience of being a Christian isn't that great? Or when being a Christian seems too much of a struggle? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I say to myself, come on, Ed, do you think that Jesus rose from the dead or not? And I think about what the people who were there have said, and I think, well, yes, I think he did. And then I say, and do you think that his death on the cross brings forgiveness for sin then? And I say, well, yes, I think it does. And then I say, well, given those things, can you think of anything more wonderful than knowing Jesus and serving him today? And I say, no, I can't. And so then I say, stop talking to yourself and get to work. See, it's this apostolic witness that we proclaim. It's what we proclaim to ourselves and it is this that we are to proclaim to others. So if someone asks me whether Jesus rose from the dead, I won't say to them, well, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to believe that he did anyway. Nor will I say to them, oh, well, he must be alive today because he's made such a difference in my life. No, I'll say, did Jesus rise from the dead? Of course he did. People saw him and touched him. His tomb was empty. He ate food with them. He appeared to huge numbers of them at the same time. He'd even predicted that it would happen before he died. We're to point people to their witness. Jesus needs to be at the centre of our message. His death, his resurrection, his kingdom, and what they mean for us. It's those truths that we long for, for young Harry to come to know as he grows up. Now, please don't mishear me. It is good to be able to talk to to friends and family about how being a Christian has helped us, how it makes a difference in your life. But I think even when we do that, we need to link it back to to this gospel. So personally, I I can say something like this. I I grew up in a church-going family and I always had a vague notion of God, but I didn't really know what he was like. It was when I joined a youth group and started looking at Jesus that I began to see that he is God. And so now I could know what God is like. And then when I found out that Jesus died on the cross so that I could know God as my friend, well, that was too good to miss. See, that's my story, but it's their witness. That's the proof for witnessing, the apostles' witness. Next here we see the, the power for witnessing. And it is the Holy Spirit. You see verse 4? On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then again, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, we're back to the Ikea furniture again. Uh, It's not that God leaves us to it. I'd never leave Emma to it. Uh, God doesn't leave us in charge of this whole process. No, he's in charge. He's guiding our hands, guiding our words, giving us the power. Uh, Just as when Emma's trying to turn a screw but it's too stiff and so I'll put my hand around hers and provide the power to turn it. Well, so here, it is the Holy Spirit who is the power behind this gospel message. It is he who can take our feeble efforts and use them to change lives. 
It is he who can open blind eyes, he who can soften hard hearts, he who can bring people who are spiritually dead to new life. We do not work alone. Indeed, we must not work alone. Here the disciples are told to wait, to stay put in verse 4 until this gift from God arrives, the day of Pentecost that happens in the next chapter. Now for us today, if if we're Christians, uh, we don't need to wait. Uh, We live after Pentecost and today the Holy Spirit is given to all Christians the moment that they turn to Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 1 says this, God has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And on the one hand, that means that we need to be reliant on him, not thinking that we can do this job ourselves. That will mean that we're prayerful, asking God to be at work, bringing people that we know to turn to Jesus. It means that if we see people become Christians, we won't try try to take the honour for ourselves or or for us as a church. No, we will give the honour to God because we know that it is his power that has done it. We need to be reliant on God, but also we won't be reluctant. Uh, We won't think, I'm not up to much when it comes to talking about the Christian faith. Uh, I better leave it to others. Not up to much. If you are a Christian here today, then you have the power of God within you. You have his hand gripped round yours. His word working through yours. You have the power for witnessing the Holy Spirit. Well, then the next point here is the place for witnessing. And it's it's pretty obvious in in verse 8. It's everywhere. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is much bigger than even the disciples had hoped for. Back in verse 6, they're asking Jesus about restoring the kingdom to Israel. But here it's global. It's everyone, everywhere, wherever and whenever they are. And that's what we see throughout Acts, of course. As people of totally different nationalities and cultures and former religions turn to Jesus and trust him. Now I know some today will will say that Christians should not proclaim the gospel to those of other faiths or those from non-Christian cultures and countries. Who are we to tell others? that they need to change and turn to Jesus. Well, who indeed? But notice here that this command to witness everywhere is immediately followed by the ascension, Jesus' instalment on the throne of heaven. The point is that Christ is to be proclaimed everywhere because he is Lord everywhere. In Hebrews 2 or other reading, we see Jesus now crowned with glory and honour. Or we could think about the last words in Matthew's Gospel. Again, words that Jesus spoke to his disciples after the resurrection and just before his ascension. He said this, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, This Gospel is to be proclaimed to everyone because Jesus has authority over everyone. Now that means I should want to talk Uh, about Jesus to my atheist friend with his nice house, fast car and sky-high self-confidence 
Not just because I think he would be happier and more fulfilled if he was a Christian, although I do, but because I know that he belongs to the one true Lord. Or it means that I can talk to the cynical retirees with a fat nest egg, not just because they will soon face eternity, but because today they exist for the pleasure of God. It also means that I don't need to spend months or even years of getting to know someone before I think I have earned the right to talk to them about my faith. Do you ever think like that? Perhaps about colleagues or people at the school gates? I don't need to earn the right because it's not my gospel. It's not my, it's not my message. It's Jesus' message. It's the gospel of Christ. And he has every right because he is king and lord of all. Now, I will always speak of him to others with gentleness and respect. Uh, There's no place for browbeating and domineering. But I do want to point all people to Jesus and say, look, he is alive and he reigns. It may be that you're sitting here today and you're not sure what you make of Jesus. Or perhaps you are sure and you know that you don't believe in him. If so, you are very welcome here today. This is no insider's club from our perspective because we believe that this message that Jesus died for us, rose from the dead and is king of everything is a message for everyone. And if our meetings together can help you to think about him, then for us it is a great honour to have you with us. And if there's anything that you'd like to talk about more, for, more informally, then please let us know. We think this is great news and we love to talk about it. The place for witnessing then, everywhere. Now we've had the proof for witnessing, the Apostle's witness. The power for witnessing, which is the Holy Spirit. The place for witnessing, now everywhere. And then finally the purpose for witnessing. And here the purpose is that Jesus will return See verse 9? After Jesus had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus has physically risen up, and then been enveloped in a cloud. Uh, Clouds are often a sign of God coming or going in the Bible. It's the sort of equivalent of of a red carpet today, I suppose, for a celebrity. And the disciples are there. They're looking up at where he went when two men, I I take it that they're angels, suddenly appear and say, why are you looking up there? Jesus is going to be coming back in the same way you've seen him go. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd? Well, well, the whole thing's odd, isn't it? I mean, uh, Jesus has just gone into heaven, there are two angels suddenly there talking, but isn't it odd what they say? They basically say, why are you looking up there? Jesus is going to be coming back from there. Now, to my mind, that would be a great reason to keep looking, to, to get every nearby CCT camera and point them upwards at the sky uh, so that we don't miss the moment that he comes. You see, the point here is that the apostles have got work to do. The world needs to hear their witness. And the clock is ticking. 
It's ticking because Jesus will return. It's not for us to know when, verse 7 makes that clear, but we know that he's coming and when he comes, it will be too late. Too late for the people who haven't turned to him. Too late for the people who are in the process of finding out about him. Too late. But it will be glorious for those who know him, for those who trust him, for those who want to be with him, because then they will be fully, perfectly, forever. Jesus will return, and that gives this gospel witness a driving purpose to tell the world about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his kingdom, while there is still time. Jesus once made this promise. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so it is that he's building it today. He could do it by himself. He could do it without us. But instead he invites us to get involved. He's given us the proof that we need, rising from the grave. He's given us the power we need, sending his spirit to change and to help us. He's put us in a place of need, a place which needs to hear. And he has given us a great purpose for our life as a church and as Christians. That we await his return with anticipation and we invite others to come and wait with us. Let's pray together.